Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns Walker. Together, we welcome you to the Butterfly Forecast. Lauren! Hey, Lauren! Hey! Lauren, I'm so glad that you could join us today. It's it's good to have a break and just hang out together. Yeah, totally. Thanks for having me. Of course. How are you? Whew, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> um, we've been at it. We left the house at 5 a.m. Wow. On this like workout kick right now. And so we, which feels great and empowering. So we've been doing that. And then it's like party week at the studio, socially distanced and physically distanced, of course. But today is like a surprise B-Day party and bridal shower. A couple of days ago was a surprise party. So just trying to pull it all off, you know? Hmm. That's so cool. I feel like it's so perfect that you started a community center. <laughs> yeah. As just who you are. It's like what you are. Totally. Mm. Totally. I've had this space for about a year and a half now. And so I knew that just very early on, I think because of my examples, that like whatever my career path would be at the time, you know, when I was younger, I wanted to be the next Lisa Leslie. Somehow, you know, became <laughs> basketball and art, that there would be some sort of record of service and tangible output to, you know, the neighborhood that I'm so obsessed with. And so um, it's happening. And wow. oddly enough, um, this moment of COVID-19 has just sort of pushed us, my studio assistants and friends and family all into this mood of just like doing. Mm. And so we're, we're at it and now sort of dreaming up other social programs that we can provide post-COVID, whatever that looks like. That's incredible. It's amazing how like your art and your life are mirrors of each other. Does it feel natural where you are at right now? Yeah, totally. Um, I would say like 90% of it does. When you add a marketplace to it, that does something. Hmm. And it creates pressures that, you know, are, are just out of your control, you know, and you perform differently. But I intentionally, intentionally have always set up my studio either in a domestic space, my grandmother's garage or backyard or, and or in the neighborhood so that I can easily hire my friends who also in, are in and of the neighborhood. And they all, for the most part, don't have a background in art. And so it uh, takes the, the weight off, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's also really hard. It's not Disneyland every day. There's failure. <laughs> It's expensive to work at my scale, but I'm doing it intentionally with just like my gumbo, my people, mm. my way of making, uh, and then just sort of the community ethos around all of that. And the recipe has been working. What part of it is the part that motivates you to keep going despite how hard it is? Because just from a fly on the wall, a few times when I, you know, witness you I, I see how hard it is um I think it's because and I don't mean this in an emo way or anything but I have a vision for the scale of my output that I know is impossible and mm. so um I think when I think back of just like sort of influence 
that computer game, uh, SimCity 2000, was everything for me. So just sort of organizing environments at the scale of the globe, you know, and then destroying them and rebuilding and aestheticizing them. I just have dreams of remixing city blocks in Los Angeles with once you think of just like the mess of development and bureaucracy and cost and capital, you know, all these things. I don't know that I'll arrive there Hmm. by the time I leave this uh, plane, but I know that I can work every day to get to that one architecture, that that second architecture, hopefully 10 architectures Hmm. by the time like I move on, you know? And so that keeps me up just like trying to arrive, arrive at like these digital blueprints that I was making like in 2006 and 2007, where I was sort of mapping out geography and sampling and just like all this world making and wanting to like actually see it. And I'm not there yet. I I think a lot about the process of the architect with, you know, the drawings and flat works and um, the, the sets of blueprints and then the model making stage and then the actual architecture. And I think though, I make um, installations and sculptures at a human scale. I'm still in the like experimental uh, miniature phase. Mm. And I hope within the next three years or so, I'm actually at the scale of building like architecture and not art that's spatial and not art that's dependent on another architecture to exist. It's own like fortified, self-supported, self-standing architecture on Western. Wow. Oh my God. Yeah. That's amazing. I might be able to make 20 architectures before I leave. I think you will. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. And you know, it's so incredible. I was um, was thinking about today and this conversation and I wondered, you know, when I look at your work, it kind of transports you somewhere. It's not just like, oh, you know, when you look at art or an installation where you have your reaction because it's art. It's not like that. It's like you take people somewhere. It changes us when we see or walk through or become affected by all these like past, present, future themes and dreams and your vision. Did you always see this way even when you were a child? I credit all of my imagination to Parliament Funkadelic. (laughs) I had a very difficult childhood and like, you know, and so I, my room became, my bedroom became my first art installation. And so um, luckily enough, I had parents that were just like, do whatever you want. So (laughs) the room would, you know, as my friends like Emmanuel and Dee and uh, Chris, you know, people that work with me now would come over and they would like rap in my room or like do their freestyle battling and stuff. <laughs> I would just be collaging on the walls, you know, or um, arranging plants or uh, before I even knew it was a thing, doing like the Andy Warhol foil everywhere. And then uh, the <laughs> internet came out. We got the internet and then downloading music like with Kazaa and LimeWire was a thing, you know. Gambling with the life of your computer because you could download this file and it'll explode, <laughs> you know. But um, I had just grown up with Parliament like on the tip of my tongue and, and samples and, you know, people playing in the backyard at the fight parties, whatever. And when I got about like 13 or 14, 
I um, am always just intrigued aesthetically. Um, I decided to jump in and I downloaded like everything. And I would just go on these just like, you know, these trips in my room. And so it was so magical about it um, then and now, but especially as like a little girl was that, or a young girl was that they were able to like beam me up and into these portals of Chocolate City or Pharaonic worlds or underwater, uh, you know, wherever without me having to leave my body, leave my room and uh, just thinking about them providing space for me and a new context in which I could experience myself devoid of all the pain and mess at a very high level as a funketeer. Mm. And I'm still trying to do that and I'm mm. not there yet, but I'm, I'm figuring it out. You know, I'm learning new forms. I'm, I'm, I'm figuring it out, but just like as an avid funketeer, it gave me so much. Mm. And so I think um, that sort of maximalism of, but controlled maximalism, very tight compositionally where, you know, of course it's like, it's genius music, it's genius art, but then there's conversations and then there's tracks on which George is like talking backwards and then there's bong rips and then there's like parlay of the Brides of Funkenstein taking you to church, you know, all these things are the ways in which I imagine building a sculpture. Mm. And it affects the same thing you just described that you experienced and created out of. That's what you give out and create relationship with everyone who becomes a part of your work. You know, once they glance it, then they become that. Mm -hmm. It's so amazing. Thank you. Yeah. It's so cool how you, I mean, this whole last year in the quarantine, I think the the biggest challenge for me has been figuring out what home looks like, this sense of home. And it's really required me to go into myself deeper than I've ever had to before. And finding or identifying all the things that help me go in and really create, you know, Julie and I were talking about this. She was like, you have to go into yourself and create an oasis inside of you and then kind of have it be like a travel oasis so that wherever you go, you just know how to access that place in you. And that's real home. Mm. And I so relate to you and being able to find that through music, but it's so inspiring how through the Funkadelic movement, you were able to kind of use that as your portal to get into yourself. It almost like became a spiritual practice for you where it helped you go inside and helped you just go deeper and deeper inside until you literally created this oasis inside of you and in the world. And now that's just what you take with you everywhere. <laughs> yeah. The power of the holy funk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so grateful for it. You know, I love that so much. Is there like less gap between like Lauren, your inner process or your inner reality and then your expression of it as an artist? Are you conscious of the difference between those or do you feel that it's seamless? No, I mean, I have my magic hours where it's just like romantic, mm -hmm. it's seamless, it's the high that I'm chasing. And that's usually when I'm alone. It's just like a late studio night and like a deadline. 
had like the pressure of a deadline and oh my god they're gonna be here at 7 a.m to pick up five things and I have three and a half you know and it's <laughs> 4 a.m it does something you know as far as like production and what comes out mm-hmm. that's still soulful um but the day-to-day and I, I think about it often and I talk about it about it with my partner often once I've professionalized a little bit my studio what that's sort of done to that free space and Mm -hmm. so now um you know working with all these people I love you know it's also keeping the morale up making sure that like all the tasks are happening throwing parties going to you know and Mm -hmm. so that sort of nirvana that's just like my own thing happens less because I'm not alone in my space of making mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. But we're coming up with like creative solutions for that. You know, coming in on the weekends, working later, finding new space where there can be like a separation where I can feel sacred in the making again and less just like task oriented. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they're, they're good issues to address now having had the studio for like only a year and a half, two years. So, Yeah, it's amazing that you're even aware of that, that process. I mean, I think I've known Melody since she started her business. And like in the beginning, she would work, work, work on creating something and then release it. And then she'd go into her life laboratory, <laughs> you know, be in the flow and the sacred and everything until her next incarnation came in. And I relate to that as well. But when it becomes like completely outer focused and then a business application, oh my gosh, you don't realize what's involved. Yeah, it dilutes something. Mm. And like, but you know, but then it's a give and take because like when that happens, you know, I'm able to all of a sudden have a community center and do more soulful work, you know. So it's just mm-hmm. about fine tuning. Mm. I think it's also important to keep the vision alive for you or to hold it and some places that you're doing all this so that one day you don't have to anymore Mm. you know it's like this isn't your life sentence you're not going to have to be a businesswoman and you know you're not going to have to run this team or be a manager or an organizer all the roles that you have to play at the beginning of when you're really creating you're creating a world literally a whole new world And so it's kind of like, I I don't think you understood what you were signing up for when you set out for it. But now that you're there, you're just like, what did I do? And how do I get back to myself? I know that's how I feel a lot. And then I just remember it's like, oh, I'm doing all this so that I don't have to one day, like so I can be free. And holding on to that vision is really important. Like I took on an investor this last year and it's freed me up in a bunch of ways. And I thought I would be way more sort of like overprotective or I wouldn't be able to give up so much of the things that I had been doing for so long because I was so, you know, crazy about micromanaging them. Mm. But I was in such a ready place to hand them over. And now I feel so, I mean, I could do things like a podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's true. But I also think the three of us, you know, being like, especially carriers of the feminine and then moving it from where it's just an art into a business world, that model, we're redesigning business. We're making like the sacred, our source of business 
and community are a source of connection, not business, mm. not a business model. I think that's revolutionary. Yeah, and I'm interested and in, invested in that sort of archetype, which is why it's mm. so like the day to day is so, you know, because it's like we're just all in it trying to get better, fine tune, fabricate mm. a space that's empowering for everyone, you know, while also curving out, carving out personal space to maximize my time creatively. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're, you're totally right. Um, the more people know about you, the more it pushes you out into a whole different kind of arena of public. And I think of you as a rarefied, sensitive person, you know, like extraordinarily sensitive instrument. How in the world do you navigate the public? Um... Yeah, it's a lot of pressure, but like when I'm in the process of a show, I just sort of lock in and turn off my phone and get off of Instagram and just commit to the goal of the production or else like it's just too much noise. And my gallery does a great job of like leaving me alone and sort of being like the liaison um, for other parts of just like the structure um of the the studios like working whatever of making the studio work and so I turn it all off and it's just like it's us in the fourth quarter trying to make it happen and um that's when it feels most free we don't have anything to compare it to we don't know what's out um we're just like you know in it I love that vision (laughs) But it's also like really hard, you know, and uh, those challenges that we face in the studio of just failure also just gives us all the endurance to push through as a unit to arrive and getting it done, you know. And then there's just love, um, you know, making sure that I I hire my best friend that has been been my best friend since I was 10 or someone I've known since they were five or somewhat, you know, so that like when we get in the thick of it and it becomes difficult, we're around like love and that's just pushing us through. That's incredible. You can feel it. You can feel that love. You can feel that um, relationship uh, come through. So that's really incredible. Yeah. I also think that's so cool how all the people that work for you, your best friends included, all have their own journeys of how they got there. Like speaking to Emmanuel and hearing about what he was doing before as a job and like what he went through and then how it was such perfect timing, how your paths kind of like met each other at the same exact time, how as soon as you started making art and really needing help, he actually really needed something too and it was just so perfect so I love the synchronicity do you see those kinds of things as sort of divine confirmations or do they help you move forward like what are the because I know for me I need touchstones like that where I feel like okay I'm on the right path do you feel like stuff like that gets you there yeah absolutely and I think um that also makes me 
work harder because like the experience of being here is just so relational in different ways and different people, you know, we have different relationships and they've landed here for different reasons, but it's like, I think every day how the reward of the studio being successful can be a reward for them personally, you know? And so Emmanuel, for example, working so hard at the studio for the past like five, six years, the biggest gift I can give him so far, you know, will be once the community center opens up, giving him a residency there with like a full on, like super tight music studio and allowing him to produce this album Mm -hmm. that he hasn't had the time, equipment, resources, whatever to do and allowing him to do that. And I have, you know, helping my friend who's helped me on and off, definitely was at the, the food program every week has helped with sculptures, helping him develop his business um, around like, you know, creating like a black black and brown grow house in the neighborhood. And so um, it's cool because we're so deep in our relationship that if there's a moment or a pause where we can deepen someone else's path, like the studio is all in on doing that, you know? And I see that as just like, that would never happen if I was just hiring people. Mm-hmm. It's special and it's not coincidence that, you know, Emmanuel showed up that day and helped me on the float. I love that. I also think that there is something so special about how invested you are in people that I think is really part of your design. Just like even, I know this last week you had somebody uh, that you were taking care of that was your dad's friend, right? Your dad's Friend growing yeah, I like my up. dad's best friend since like he they were like five, ten, that type of thing. So his Emmanuel, he's been my play uncle my entire life. Before um I was able to like run a U-Haul to do something, he would drive me and my other painter friends all over the city. Um, you know, getting a canvas or going to Home Depot, just always so available for us and never wanted anything in return, but our company and to just be involved in the studio because he respected the creative process. And so, yeah, his aunt passed during Corona and he was adopted. That was like his lifeline. And uh, they took the house away and he was in the streets. And so then we put him in a sober living house around the corner and sort of, he just sort of succumbed to all the stuff. Yeah, it was pretty hard. Yeah. I'm so sorry for your loss. That's okay. Yeah. But also I just felt like it was so special how you showed up for him in this last time and how you really show up for people all the time. I mean, I've had the privilege of seeing you every Friday for the last year doing on top of your regular workload as an artist, just literally creating a whole other business (laughs) of feeding communities, feeding your community. And so I, I just think that's so, so remarkable. And I've, I've also watched people really try to tear you down in a sense at the same times where older men, it's just the craziest thing to me where they would come to her and sort of make Lauren feel like, who do you think you are? kind of thing or like and I don't think I'm anybody I'm just like showing exactly. up exactly mm. but then I, I also just 
admire so much your humility and your grace of moving through those kinds of situations and then being able to just be stealthy about it and still just continuing to do your work. Especially there's a creative element to what you've been offering. You've not only created community through what you've been doing, um, but also relationships with like food, produce, and bringing fresh food into that offering. It's not just status quo. You're like dreaming it on a whole nother level. And I think that that always is going to create reactivity, like the who do you think you are, because it's different than what's been done. And it's so much more than what we've ever seen, what we've ever, you know, experienced. So I think um, that's a whole nother level of courage. How did that become part of this uh, giving back to the community? Yeah, um, I've just always sort of been like an insider, outsider in my neighborhood my whole life. Um, my parents and my father made sure that I always went to school outside of my neighborhood. So as a little girl, I went to a Montessori school in Westchester for elementary school. And that was just like my first, that sort of radicalized how I feel, just my, you know, class positions and, you know, how that works. And so, I could just remember, you know, from, uh, I don't mean every day, but like moments from like preschool to sixth grade at that school. And eventually when I went to LACES off of Fairfax in 18 for then seventh to 12th grade, just sort of like the architectural boundaries of the city, the makeup of LA. And once you pass this avenue, architecture and its materiality start showing up differently. Hard materials, bars on windows, um, just insane surveillance when you go into store, a mini market as if we're going into like a bank vault, you know, and just ways that like my body, my skin, um, just sort of criminalized by these small business owners um, as part of the larger system and mess, you know. And so I just always felt that viscerally. And uh, as I got older and I think like in the 11th or 12th grade became a vegetarian, I started um, noticing just like, you know, the grocery store. And when I went to a friend's house on the West side, or even going down the street to Westchester, a 15 minute drive down Manchester, uh, what was available and coming back to the, the grocery stores in my neighborhood, what was curated for us. And I was always just so offended by that, you know, this pre-COVID-19, I'd always planned on addressing it, but I just didn't have the time. I didn't know where I would start. But in the um, maybe the first few months of the lockdown last March, I thought this is the time. And so I sat with my partner, Monique, and a friend that I went to middle and high school with who works deeply um, in the, the farmer's markets here in LA, specifically Santa Monica and Hollywood, and uh, planned this food program. And I thought no matter what the cost is, we would figure out a way to sort of corrupt or subvert the supply chain of produce to kitchen as we've known it before. Mm. And so first three weeks, super shaky. <laughs> but by the fourth week, uh, we 
made relationships with just like the most wonderful um, farmers in LA County and San Diego County, who a lot of the Michelin uh, restaurants source for their produce. So really cool. You could go eat at Bavel and be like, oh, we're having some, some wiser potatoes, a wiser farm. They have like amazing potatoes and mm-hmm. purple cauliflower, you know, all this stuff. And uh, that became the motivation to sort of shift just our palate and what's available and hope that other folks notice too, which I know we do. And so this is a Band-Aid, but as far as just like providing because folks need it to survive, but like this year or by next year, I want to figure out how to fix the system. And so my plan, now that I have these um, relationships with uh, all these farms, is to then go to whoever the produce buyers are, uh, you know, Superior Warehouse, for example, and say, you know, you're buying your produce from some produce distributor. It's coming from Mexico. It's coming from Canada. It's been sitting on ice. For all this time, it has to be transported. It's actually much more cheaper and effective if you just went up the street to Oxnard to to my farm and you're actually helping a small farm Mm -hmm. and you're bringing nutrient-dense produce harvest in like beautiful soil um, a few days before they drop it off. And so it's just like a win-win, you know. But right now we're just doing the boxes and hot mills. Lauren, run for president. <laughs> Those are a lot of boxes. Yes. Yeah. And you often come out of pocket for them. Yeah. But because of like folks like you and like others, I've been getting donations. Like we became a nonprofit, the community center. So for those who are listening, how would somebody donate to the Summit Everything Community Center? Um, you can go on the website, summeeverything.org, and then click donate and it'll take you to PayPal. Yeah, you can do that. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. So inspiring, Lauren. You're just so inspiring. That's true. Hey, Lauren, in a perfect world, and when I say perfect world, I mean the world that you are bringing consciousness into is there a place in the world actually geographically or a culture where when you go there you feel like 100 percent nothing's required of you it like totally supports you as a person no but i the closest i get to that is being on the water and the farther Mm. out i am on the water Mm. i'm that I mean, obviously, you know, we're on a boat, but aside from that, there's just like no human intervention, construction. Um, there's just like none of that. And so um, even if it's like a cheesy boat ride down a canal in Long Beach, I'll take it, you know, <laughs> because it's just like it gives me something for that hour mm. to recharge my battery. Yeah, so important. And also pray and like, just like, you know, express gratitude in ways that holds me and there's no noise. Mm. Yeah. So, so pivotal when you come from that place. Do you ever really get a day off? Like when you have a day off, is it literally off or are you percolating ideas 
Yeah, I don't. But I, I realized in this quarantine that I'm not good at taking time off anyway. Like I get like really fidgety and like mm. I get annoyed. I get bothered. I feel like I'm wasting my time. I feel like I'm not getting to that vision of the 20 architectures. I feel like if I didn't take this day off, I could have gotten to 21. Mm. <laughs> It's just like a lot of guilt and I know it's all myth. Mm. So I'm learning the balance of just like trying to build out personal time in my day where I'm still being productive in like super sacred ways that are just only mine. But I think it's also, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm experimenting right now with like what makes me feel good, you know? So right now I'm on this workout kick. I don't know how long it's going to last. But until like, hopefully, fingers crossed, I get this building and there I plan on carving out a space within the building that's just like my, like just a temple Mm. for myself. Right. That would be dreamy. It's like your own universe. This last year, I've also realized how important space is. Totally. Space can be like really oppressive Mm -hmm. and messy and hard and dense. I think that's why I'm so obsessed with like proposing new space. Space is everything. I mean, if you're in a place that provides for you light and the right kind of exposure and air and like a high enough ceiling, it can really feel like the world, your world indoors rather than, oh, I have to go inside, (laughs) you know, instead of taking you away from nature. I wonder uh, what a dream space would look like. For me, I feel like there'd be very few walls. (laughs) It'd just be wide open. Mm. Windows? A lot of windows. Yeah, just all windows. Unless it faced other buildings. (laughs) But like if it was nature out there, like the water, I feel like you do, Lauren, about open water, although I can't swim a stroke, but I I still need it. I need to be near it. And the closer I am to it, the less encumbered I feel with the state of the world. What about you, Smushy? I feel that in the trees. I think when I'm Mm. in the trees... The water, I like the water too, but if I'm in front of it too long, it makes me too introspective. Mm. I just go in deeper and deeper and think, overthink and think. But for some reason, when I'm near trees or in an open field, I don't think as much. I'm just able to be more present. Right. Space, the final frontier. (laughs) (laughs) Sushi, do you have any more questions? I do have one. Lauren, thinking about the era we're living in, which is like fraught with peril, you'd think we had broken more ground, and especially with race and also gender. Do you feel like being a female Black artist today, is it easier or harder? It's incredibly difficult. Um especially now that it's public and especially now that I'm in a marketplace by choice. No one's put that on me. I chose to participate, to keep my scale. 
because I can't afford to build 22 architectures. Most, I mean, who can, you know, um, for all these reasons and, and these nuances, um, having that structure, but with that structure and being in the vacuum of that, I'm just every day dealing with sort of like inner conflict around it or just like racism, you know, having to explain why it's important for me that people that look like me collect my work, you know, and that this work that's, you know, about revisioning and sort of remapping South Central should return back to the context that produced the work and gave me the inspiration, gave me the material culture that I'm obsessed with, gave me the ephemera, gave me my archives. That should just be like one plus one equals two, you know, but having to having to make that a position, it's more than just saying it, you know, energetically after that, it could just drain you. And so, um, I find myself having to defend all sorts of positions I have um, around, you know, my work and myself often. It's a lot of like performance and it sucks. I really appreciate your candor. I feel like that's what makes your work even more potent and more effective. I mean, my goal isn't to, you know, have the studio and and produce what it produces to end up in art history. You know, if I do, that's great. But if not, like I wasn't thinking about it anyways. My goal is to then, you know, redistribute the resources and the awards and the funds and the energy and the mojo back into some sort of tangible output for my neighborhood and mm-hmm. the creating community space or just collective space is the way that I want to go about it. And so the community center is just one of like a million models and things that I have in mind that will allow folks and allow us to function without like these systems and these relationships to just like, to myth that hold us all down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why I think I show up every day. Well, something that we've been talking about a lot is freedom You know, it's like, how do you become free? Like, just free to be who you are and to do what you do the best in the in the best way that you do those things. And that's a struggle. And, you know, we've also been talking a lot about projection and projection is so insidious. You know, it's so it's like it comes across as somebody that really means well or somebody that loves you or wants the best for you and every single projection you have to sort of internalize and filter through yourself and ask yourself like but is that me and that's mm-hmm. so tiring but to mm-hmm. to be able to get to a place where you're just free of that where you have such a strong knowing of who and what you are and who you serve and why you're doing this and who you're doing it for so that you could just be free to do it, you know? Yeah, like just trying to be as self-directed in every like gesture, especially creatively, um, as you can is so important. Mm-hmm. That's when compromise comes in and then what, you know. Um, but yeah, even that, like it's it's a labor, but I mean, it's very, it's very important to have that ethos in place 
I think that I personally am in just so much awe of you because you aren't referencing anything. You are you are your own design and you're literally just figuring out how to unfold that with no reference point at all, with not none. Yeah. And that's really difficult. Most people operate from a reference. Mm. So I always tell you, be easy on yourself. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working on it, you know. <laughs> She's I like, see. I got 21 buildings I needed to get. <laughs> Architectures. <laughs> yeah, but I'm working on that. I think it's so important. It's just another thing to add to the list. <laughs> it's like, but slowly, slow, in moderation, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, Thank you so much for joining us for a conversation. And yeah, uh, it's been amazing just to spend this time with you and give a lot of nuanced, new understandings of uh, your work. And it'll be exciting to see it manifest in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have some stuff coming up and, you know, I'm excited. I'm very nervous, but I'm excited. Um about what could happen. So Ooh. hopefully, uh, yeah, I'll invite you. You'll come. It'll be fun. Can't wait. Amazing. Totally. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Lauren. You're the best. You guys are. No. You, you are, are, Lauren. We'll do this again before 21. <laughs> For sure. All right. Have a good day, you guys. Thank you. You too. Send my love to Mo. I will. For sure. Okay. Bye. Bye, Bye, Lauren. Smishy. Smishy. Oh, what a fabulous journey. She's so dreamy. I just She really is. She makes me speechless. I was just I just want to hear her talk. I didn't even have anything I could really say. Yeah, she's so poetic about what she is and so like extraordinarily all her fine lenses come out when she starts talking yeah well it's interesting because she's really such a shy person but when she's talking about her thing you wouldn't know she was shy at all which I love. I know. It's that thing we talk about, yeah. what you are. It's what brings you out. Yeah. You know? That's why it's such a privilege to have conversations about what we are. Ah, oh, it's inebriating. Smishy. <laughs> mm. Cool. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for you. The, this day. Another wonderful smishy day. Yes. Well... For all the listeners who've been joining us on our Tuesdays, we really hope you enjoyed our conversation today and hope you remember to join us every Tuesday on your favorite podcast platforms. And for those of you who haven't checked out Lauren Halsey's work, you should get familiar. And if you'd like to donate to her community center. Her website is Summa Everything. That's S-U-M-M-A-E-V-E-R-Y-T-H-A-N-G dot com. See you next time. Bye. 